Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. As we continue our study through Philippians here. All theology is practical. And sometimes I know when we talk about theological and doctrinal truths, it can feel like it sometimes doesn't bear much weight on our daily lives, but it does. What we believe is important because what we believe impacts the way we live. When we believe something is true, it influences our thinking, our actions, our emotions, which then play out practically in everyday life. This morning we get to see some of the ways that these truths that we find in Scripture, the truths of the Gospel, impact our daily life down to the very small details. So last time we were in Philippians, we saw that we have encouragement in Christ, we have comfort from love, participation with the Spirit, and affection and and sympathy because of the Gospel. These truths have very real significance for our lives down to every moment that we live. Because of this encouragement we have in Christ, it, it leads us to being united in the same mind, the same love, being of full accord and of one of mind. So then the question is, so what does that practically look like as we live like this? So this morning, we'll see how the gospel moves us away from rivalry and conceit and moves us towards humility driven by the good news of Jesus Christ and the example of his life. And this will lead us to a Christ-centered unity in the church. So the exhortation from Paul is that we would do nothing from selfish ambition, but instead that we would do everything in humility. So hopefully you're in Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Lord, as we... Take a look at this passage. I ask that uh, you'd be working in our hearts and in our minds, that we'd be uh, convicted of of sin, that we would turn to you, and uh, we're thankful for the fact that you are gracious and and loving and and forgiving. And uh, Lord, we ask that you'd help us live lives in humility and not in selfish ambition or conceit. Amen. So the church is told to do nothing out of rivalry or conceit. So with this statement, Paul is making everything in life fit into this this nothing. There is no thing we should do selfishly or in pride. Um, We should take a moment to think through these two specific traits, rivalry, uh, selfish ambition, and conceit, which is pride. Uh, to see how they affect the things in life that we do. All right, so do nothing from selfish ambition. Uh, We've seen this word before in Philippians. If you look back at chapter 1, verses 15 uh, to 17, it says, 
Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. And so we see the same word here, rivalry or uh, selfish ambition. These men, they're preaching Christ for their own personal gain and desiring to afflict Paul and his ministry. Uh, selfish ambition is about doing something for yourself, only for yourself. Uh, you're thinking only of yourself. Uh, and this oftentimes can come at the expense of another person. In this instance, uh, of the men preaching Christ out of selfish ambition, they're purposefully trying to hurt Paul. Uh, they're trying to raise their own platform, hurt Paul's influence. Uh, their desire to preach the gospel is not to glorify God, uh, not to be obedient to the Lord, uh, or to be unified with the church, but instead it's, it's purely out of selfish motives. In fact, uh, they're being divisive, uh, even in preaching the gospel, because they're trying to hurt uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul. We need to see that our selfish ambition moves us to hurt others. When we are wrapped up in our concern for ourselves, we lose concern for others. And when we get wrapped up in ourselves, we can even begin to harbor animosity towards others. The men who are preaching from selfish ambition have thought through how they're going to hurt Paul. Uh, this, this wasn't an accident. Uh, this was on purpose. And they're trying to even look good and godly in their animosity. Um, they're preaching the gospel. That's kind of scary, isn't it? Um, sometimes we can do things that look godly and on the outside, but our hearts are wicked and self-centered. Um, we can even convince ourselves that we're being spiritually mature while we're, we're not. And we need to hear this. Our, our hearts are deceitful. Um, these men were preaching the gospel in a selfish manner in an attempt to hurt a brother. Uh, but preaching the gospel is good, right? <laughs> we're, we're capable of doing the right things with the wrong motive, um, for the wrong reason. This shows how sick our hearts can be. Um, and this is what we see Christ confronting the Pharisees on, on multiple occasions. Uh, they looked good on the outside. It looked like they were obeying the law. It looked like they were righteous and above reproach. Yet, Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs. What they've done on the outside, that looks so good, and sometimes even was morally good, misses the mark because their hearts aren't in it. They were people who gave lip service to God in their worship, but their hearts were far from him. We are to do nothing in selfish ambition. It's important to note that Paul's not calling all ambition uh, bad. This does not mean that we should never be ambitious. This is a command telling us to never be uh, selfishly ambitious. There's, there's a difference there. 
it's possible to have godly ambition. We can be godly and ambitious in our work and in our hopes and dreams for life. Uh, this is, this, the way this happens is when our ambitions are driven by love for God and love for others rather than a love for self. So that, that's the difference. When we work, we work as if we're working for the Lord and not for men. So be ambitious with your life for God's honor and God's glory, lifting up the name of, of Jesus. And do nothing from selfish ambition that is for your own honor and glory, lifting up how great you think your name is. Um, here's another example of, of selfish ambition. Uh, let's consider Judas Iscariot. Uh, he was a disciple of Christ. He was someone who had been following Jesus for years, he would have seen many of the miracles Jesus performed. He would have taken part in serving and even sharing the good news of the kingdom of heaven being at hand. Judas was even the person who was responsible for keeping the money bag of the ministry of, of Christ. He, he was someone that people trusted. He sounds like, to me, he sounds like someone who's got it all put together. Uh, someone who's spiritually mature. Uh, I mean... Look at all the stuff that he's doing. Look at what he's responsible for. But what was the heart behind all of this? It was selfish ambition. Uh, look at John chapter 12, the beginning of that chapter. It says this, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Do you see the selfish ambition that is actually masked on the outside as being selfless, giving, and spiritually mature? Do you see that? This is deceit. And honestly... Judas, he could have been fooling himself here as well. Uh, you know, give some to the poor, yes, but also take some for me. It, he could deceive himself into thinking that he was being godly and mature. It, we need to be careful, even as we say and do things that look godly, we can still have selfish motive behind it, trying to get what we want. thinking about what's in it for me. It's, it's only by the grace of God that we can live our lives in a way that is not selfishly ambitious. Uh, our selfish ambition runs deep within us. It's a rut that's impossible to escape except for the mercy of God. Um, and the life of Judas Iscariot is a warning to us 
about following Jesus with lip service and, and actions, but not following Jesus with, with your heart. Um, so we're all, we all face this temptation to do all things out of selfish ambition. And of course, the command is to do nothing out of selfish ambition. Um, so then, what are some normal life examples of this, of doing things out of selfish ambition? Uh, so I'm going to give you an example from my own life, and this is dangerous because as I confess this, now I can be held accountable, right? Um, so this is, a, this is a silly example of selfish ambition in my life that goes down to the nitty-gritty. And I say silly because it is, but I'm also serious in wanting to expose my selfish motives. Uh, selfishness runs deep and can strike at the smallest areas of our life. Um, so the, the command is to do nothing from selfish ambition. So that means even the small things. Um, okay, so how am I a failure in this regard? Uh, selfish ambition uh, rears its ugly head in my life uh, when I could change a diaper but decide to wait because I know that my wife's going to do it anyway. Um, so my, my ambition here is not to serve, uh, but just to do what I want. Uh, changing my son's diaper would be a way to love him, serve my son, serve my wife. And I need to confess that there are times that I've neglected to do this out of the fact that I didn't want to. And I knew that she would anyway, so it's going to be okay. He's going to be taken care of. Um, some questions to ask as you consider your life, uh, your ambitions. Why do I want this? Why do I want this? Do I want this because it glorifies God? Or am I more concerned with satisfying myself? And the way that I, ord uh, that I worded that question is, is really important. Um, do I want this because it glorifies God, or am I more concerned about satisfying myself? So the key there is the more concerned part of that question. God created us to enjoy life. Uh, it's, it's good to enjoy life. The problem comes in when we place enjoying life over glorifying God. Uh, and I want to make that clear. I'm not saying that it's bad to enjoy life. It, it, it's good to enjoy life. Um, but we need to be careful that we're living in order to glorify God first. Um, and when we live to glorify God first, I believe that we'll find and end up uh, enjoying life in the way that God has created us to enjoy life. Um, so Paul also says we're to do nothing from conceit or, or pride. Selfish ambition and pride, they're friends that walk side by side with each other. Uh, if there is selfish ambition, I'm certain that there is pride right next to it. Uh, pride is when we have an improper understanding of, of who we are. Uh, pride is when we think too highly of ourselves. It's a sin of, the, of an attitude of our heart. It's when we have even the audacity to place ourselves in the place that only God should be. Uh, but pride is also 
deceitful. It's so deceitful that we can even think that we're being humble while we're living out pride. Uh, We can be like Judas and the Pharisees, where we convince ourselves that we're being humble while we're being proud. Um, Here's another example of this. Um, In John chapter 9, uh, we see that Jesus heals a man that was born blind. The disciples ask Jesus about who had sinned that he was born blind, Uh, But Jesus tells the disciples that this man's blindness has nothing to do with anybody's sin, but had everything to do with God displaying his work and his glory in him. Uh, So Jesus ends up making some mud. Uh, He he spits on the ground, makes some mud, spreads it on uh, this man's eyes, tells him to go wash it off at the pool. Uh, And he listens to Jesus and and is healed. A man born blind (laughs) is healed. It's remarkable. Um, the Pharisees start to question this healed man. Uh, they immediately see Jesus as a sinner because Jesus did something that they considered work on the Sabbath. They're immediately judgmental of, of Christ. Uh, they also go get this man's parents because they're having a hard time believing him, uh, believing what's going on. And the parents confirm his identity, but don't really want to answer the Pharisees' questions. Um, So then it says in in verse 24, So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God, we know this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you, have not li- and you will not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want also to, be, to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Do you see the heart of pride in the Pharisees here? There's some things here that I believe we should point out about pride. A common trait of pride is to compare people with ourselves. It's to compare people with ourselves. It's very common with pride. When we compare people with ourselves and we think that we're better, it's pride. The Pharisees tell the blind man that he's a disciple of Jesus but they are a disciple of Moses, and and they have knowledge, but he is uneducated. They know that God spoke to Moses, but they don't know where where Jesus came from. So the blind man, he jumps on this and points out the irony of what they're saying. They have all this knowledge, 
But he was born blind and now can see because Jesus healed him. So the blind man sees this as evidence that Jesus is from God. But the Pharisees are blind to what has just happened and don't see Jesus being from God. Um, and the, the Pharisees, they, they scold the man by, by judging him, saying he was born in sin. And, and Jesus had just told the disciples that he wasn't born blind because of any sin. Um, and the Pharisees, they're, they're upset because this man spoke back to him to them. They don't want to be taught. Uh, who could teach them anything? They already know everything. They already have everything figured out. Uh, if they were to be taught, they would need to be taught by someone who is you know, much superior to them, way smarter, not this lowly person, not this blind beggar, uh, formerly blind beggar. Uh, so their compa- comparison comes in again. Uh, their lack of teachability is evident. Their pride works out into their outwork of life. And from their prideful heart overflows prideful speech. So, some questions for us to consider as we think through our pride. Do you compare yourselves with others? Do you compare yourselves with others? This is what the Pharisees did. And it even influenced their prayers. Uh, do you remember the, the Pharisee uh, praying and saying, you know, thank you, God, that I'm not like that man, that sinner over there? Um, that's a comparison that's driven by pride. Uh, prideful people compare themselves with others rather than comparing themselves with Christ. Prideful people compare themselves with others rather than comparing themselves with Christ. Uh, when we compare ourselves with others in pride then what we're doing is we're making ourselves the standard by which people should be measured. That's pride. Uh, Or maybe we compare ourselves with others and we make them to be the gold standard of how to live. We want to measure up to be like them. Uh, But who is is the person who lived perfectly? Uh, I can tell you it's it's not anybody in this room (laughs) None of us are the gold standard for for living. This is why we don't compare others with us, but instead we're to to look to Christ and see how we don't measure up. And this should move us towards repentance. Another question to consider. Are you teachable even from someone who you don't think should teach you or even could teach you? Do you refuse to be taught? Prideful people only want to teach others and don't want to be taught by others. The the Pharisees refuse to listen to this blind man. They don't view him as someone who is worthy of their attention. They don't view him as anybody who has anything worthwhile to say. They're educated. They know better than him. It all reeks of pride. Do you compare yourself with others? Are you teachable? We all need to be careful. Our our hearts can be growing in pride. We're tempted to do all things in pride. 
just as we're tempted to do all things in selfish ambition. Um, so yes, you're about to hear about another example of pride in my life. Um, I, so I know there are times in my life where I've confessed and told people I was wrong about something, but part of my heart behind telling people that I was wrong uh, about whatever that thing was is I wanted to show them that I was willing to own my, my own responsibilities and mistakes. Uh, sort of like a taking the high road type of mentality. That's um, pretty sick when you think about it. Uh, being more concerned about showing people that I could own up to my mistakes than actually being grieved over being wrong. Uh, there's pride. Uh, here's, here's the point I'm trying to make. Um, it's possible to work hard, to do a good job, to do the right thing, and look good while doing it, and to have all of that come from a place of pride. Uh, we are to work hard. We are to do a good job. Uh, but we're to do this all for the glory of, of God, not for our how we look, not for our own pride. And the way we do this is in humility. Paul has told us how, how not to live. Now he's going to exhort us with, with how to live. He says it, But in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Okay, so we are to do Everything in humility. Um, humility is when we have a proper understanding of ourselves in light of who God is. Uh, C.S. Lewis has an interesting quote about humility. He says, Do not imagine that if you meet really a humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he's a nobody. Probably all, probably all you will think about him is that he seemed cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. Um, a, a humble person turns their attention and their thoughts off of themselves and, and on to others. And this is part of what Paul is saying here. We are to see the significance of other people. And not only are we to see the significance of others, we're to see them as more significant than ourselves. The, the picture here is that we would see people as surpassing us in value. This, this is a heart of a servant. As we continue to study this chapter, we'll see this in, in the example of Christ. Uh, and I have to mention this here. In verse 7, we see that Jesus takes the form of a servant. Um, he saw mankind as more significant than himself and came and served. He came to serve, not to be served. Jesus served mankind by living a, a perfect life of obedience to God and dying on the cross our place 
and all of this out of love for mankind. This is, this is a heart of giving. This is a heart of service. We need to train ourselves to see others not only as significant, but as more significant than ourselves. If we did this by God's grace, this would change the way we thought about people, the way we talked about people. Um, We would be showing love, respect, and honor as, as we see others as more significant than ourselves. In speaking of seeing people as more significant than ourselves, I would dare to say that our world even struggles with seeing people as significant at all. Um, Many times, people, even you and me, can view other people as a means to an end uh, rather than seeing them as an image bearer of God. Uh, And that is... That's to live with selfish ambition and pride. Um, Where I want something from you, and I think that you exist in order to give me what I want. That is selfish ambition and pride working out in daily life. People are not a means to an end. People do not exist to give us what we want. People exist for the glory of God. Um, the, The problem with the world, and again, we, we fight this in our own lives as well, is that we can see people as being expendable and consumable. Uh, our sinful hearts can make people out to be a consumable product to serve our desires. And this is a, a low view of mankind. The truth is that every person is significant and made in the image and likeness of God. And this is why we cherish the sanctity of human life for all ages and all ethnicities. And because people are made in the image and likeness of God, because people are in fact significant, we're to consider the interests of others. Before we get to that, uh, there's a part here that sometimes is, it's, it's sometimes skipped over when this passage is talked about. The full verse says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Okay. Uh, We are to do what is in our best interest as well. Paul is not saying that you should neglect yourself um, or your interests. We are to look to our own interests, but we can't stop there. Uh, We must see the interests of others as well. So right now... it's really important to define what we mean by interests, right? Um, looking to our own interests and looking towards others' interests, does not, it does not mean that we are a slave to our own wants or a slave to what others want. Um, sometimes what's in our best interest is something that uh, we don't want. Um, have you ever uh, needed something and uh, but not really wanted it? Um, what we want and what we really need don't always line up. Uh, sometimes what we want and 
what we need are the same thing, and other times they're not. Um, so we're to look after our own interests. This does not mean that we just do whatever we want. Uh, it means that we live in a way that is obedient to God. Because living obediently to God is ultimately what's in our best interest. We are also to look after the interests of others, which does not mean that we're a slave to what everybody else wants, but that we encourage and help in what is in their actual best interest, described by the word of God. Here are two biblical reasons that interest here does not mean wants. For instance, the wrath of God is when God gives people over to what they want. Uh, we see this in Romans 1. Uh, it says, Romans 1, verse 24, it says, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. God gives, up, gives them up to their heart's desire. Uh, their, the desire, the, the wants of the natural man, is sinful. Uh, we see later in Romans that, that no one seeks God. Um, salvation is given to mankind, but isn't even what we wanted. Uh, it's what we needed. Uh, do you see the grace of God in this? Uh, we didn't want God, we wanted sin. But because of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, he has saved those who repent and believe. Uh, he gives us what we need, um, which is salvation, which is him. Um, he gives us new hearts. And we begin to want and to desire the right things as well. Galatians 1.10 is another example. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Um, if we live for the approval of man, then we're not the servant of the Lord, but, but of man. Um, and th this really is, is freeing. Uh, one of the problems with living for the approval of man or living to serve uh, what others want is that it's possible for two different people to want opposite and opposing things. Have you ever seen that? <laughs> people wanting different things. Uh, one person wants one thing, another person wants the opposite thing. So then what would you do? Um, if you're living for the approval of man, you found yourself in a really difficult situation. Um, but if your standard for how you live is to please God, and not necessarily please man, then your decision is not based upon what makes one person happy or another person happy. Your, de your decision is based upon obedience to God. Um, and that is a firm and steady standard of living. Because um, what people want, that can change all the time. Um, God's word remains the same. So again, I'm going to share with you another way that I can struggle with this exact thing. I'm someone who likes to make, I want everyone to be happy. And I know that scripture teaches us to 
die to ourselves. I know that scripture teaches us to love by sacrificing, uh, to love by serving others, that we are to consider others as more important than ourselves, and to think about other people's interests. Um, Now, uh, what I've found in my life is that when a situation comes up, I can sometimes bend over backwards to give people what they want from me. Uh, And I can do this while even thinking that I'm being very spiritually mature because I convince myself that I'm dying to myself in order to serve others. But really, what I'm doing is living for the approval of man rather than living to please God. That's really the heart that's behind it. Um, This is where I can convince myself that I'm being spiritually mature and godly, but really I'm just justifying a a sinful attitude in my heart of wanting to get get the approval of man. I can do all this in the name of dying to self and use all this spiritual language that I've heard my whole life to to justify my sin of living for man's approval. Um, We can deceive ourselves. Um, This is what Judas did. Uh, We see the Pharisees were also self-deceived. Judas, looking good on the outside and speaking about giving to the poor, uh, but was a thief underneath driven by selfish ambition. The Pharisees looked like they were keeping the law, living moral lives, but underneath they were driven by pride. We need to be careful about all of this. The truth is that when we are living first and foremost for the Lord, then we're not going to please everyone around us. The standard that we are to live by is not what we want or what other people want, but obedience to God. Um, And this is a steady standard. Um, It's also a standard that we've all failed to live up to. But the, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus lived his life in humility. Jesus did not do anything from selfish ambition. Jesus did not do anything in pride. Instead, Jesus obediently and humbly went to the cross to die in our place. Thankfully, part of the work of Jesus that Jesus does in the gospel is that he gives us new hearts and new desires so that we begin to want what God wants and praise God for that. We're people who have been called to imitate Christ and his love, um, to not do anything out of selfish ambition, to not do anything out of pride. Uh, We're instead to see the significance of others, uh, to treat people as more important than ourselves, uh, to look after uh, others' best interests. We're to die to ourselves for the glory of God. We're to live in humility for the glory of God. We are to see the significance of others for the glory of God. We are to look to the interests of others for the glory of God. We have been a people who have lived with selfish ambition and pride. We have not been a people who view others as more significant than ourselves. We have not been people who have always considered what is in someone else's best interest. But Christ died in order that sinners like you and me 
could have life, could have salvation, could have our sin washed away, and not only that, but that we could receive the perfect and righteous life of Christ added to us so that when God the Father looks at us, he sees the perfect life of Christ. I thank God for that. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we come before you and we admit that we are people who have selfish and prideful hearts, that our selfish ambition and our pride can drive our lives. Lord, we ask that you would root this out of us, that you would, our, you would open our eyes to selfish ambition in our life, you would open our eyes to pride in our life, that by your grace we would follow the example of, of Christ as we're called to imitate him, that we would live lives uh, selflessly, that we would be humble people who see not only the significance of other people, that, but that we would count people as more significant than ourselves and that we would look towards other people's interests. Lord, we thank you that Jesus did that for us. And because of that, we're able to have salvation. And so we pray this all in your name. Amen.